Good morning, everyone. What a joy it is to be able to come together and be able to celebrate, to worship. It just as I hear the songs that our worship team chose for this morning, I just hear the echoes of what God's Word has been placing before me this week in preparing for this sermon about His glory, about the fading nature of our own, but the truth and the, of what His redemption in our lives, His work in our lives, and I'm so thankful for that. And so I'm thankful. I hope you are thankful for our worship team as they gather early each Sunday morning to be able to prepare this as well as prepare it throughout the week. I do have one other prayer that I want to add. If you would be praying for uh, during our service today about the second service, and Pastor David did not uh, bring it up. So Pastor Sam is down in Mexico this week. He's going to be there actually across three Sundays uh, doing a number of different teaching in his, uh, where he was previously doing missionary work, doing teaching for biblical counseling. That means we've had to uh, have some substitute uh, preachers uh, in Spanish. Last week, um, Ellie, Ein, our, who was just playing bass, got the chance to preach the message last week upstairs during our Spanish service. And this week it was supposed to be Leslie Casada who has been an intern with us and is still with us, but Leslie is not feeling well this morning. And so as of yesterday, we had to come up with another plan. And so Pastor David will be preaching in the second service at the same time that I am. He'll be upstairs. No, he will not be speaking in tongues, but he will have a Spanish interpreter next to him. And that's something, it's a skill that we all have to work on. So we want to be praying for his ability and just that his message would come through very clearly uh, even working with a translator, and so we're just so thankful for that. And then there's the things that God's been putting on our hearts, on my heart this week to be able to share with you. Uh, let me ask, let's just start with, so if we were all to conduct a survey, and now this would be a survey that you would be giving out to others to learn something about yourself, and in this survey, it might ask questions like, who do I remind you of? Uh, what, are they, what would you say that I pattern my life after? Or who would you say that I imitate? Because, well, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, right? Well, some people might use that phrase and try to apply it as biblical. Listen as we go through, and you might see how that is an uh, incorrect understanding of God's Word. But the people that we emulate and what we find coming out of our own lives, I can remember times in the Navy when it was so, I would catch myself, the phrases that I were speaking, they weren't my own. They were the phrases of my bosses. Suddenly I'd walk home and I'd say something to Kathy and she'd say, you know, you sound just like Chuck. That was my captain at the time. And I was like, gosh, you're right, I am. Sometimes it also goes the other direction. We might, I, many of you know my son, Tim. Tim was an intern in the previous class here with the seminary. He's now a pastor up in Michigan. But many times I'd get comments that folks would be seeing Tim and they would say, you know, I see in your son what we see in you. So we look at what do we emulate. You see, because this type of imitation and patterning reaches into many parts of our lives, not just the things that we say, but do we choose our clothes, I mean, our style based on what our friends might be wearing, or what a celebrity that who we enjoy might be wearing? Do we pattern our activities after others for what we are doing? As a pastor, I can even see it in my own preaching. As I shape the tone and the words that I use, to sound somewhat like the men whom I am learning from. We all pattern our lives around what we choose to learn, but it's really about we live like what we love. 
we reflect what we revere. And through the imitation reflection, it gives an indication of what we value. And so we could go as far as to say it gives an indication of what we worship. Because we are all praising and worshiping someone or something. And the question becomes, who or what is that that we're worshiping? You know, I'm thankful to be a part of a church that celebrates together and worships what truly matters. And I hope that's been coming clear to you even over the beginning of this year as we've been walking with our annual theme of building on our heritage. You see, we chose that theme because the truths that we're celebrating are the same truths today as they were 60 years ago. Because the heritage of our church, the foundation that is grounded upon is the gospel of Jesus Christ the inspiration, inerrancy, and sufficiency of God's Word to provide us everything that we need for life and godliness. Are you thankful that the message of the gospel just plain doesn't get stale? Because here's the implication, folks. That means I can just preach from God's Word, and I'm thankful I don't have to stress each week thinking about that I've got to come up with something new and interesting that might actually get you to come back the next week. But instead, we can stand upon what God's Word says. And that's why over the past seven weeks, we've been unpacking some deep theological truths, okay? Unpacking truths that God, that, or that, I'm sorry, that Paul has included in the opening praises of God's work in giving us a new life in Christ Jesus. And we've been doing this as part of our initial series of remembering our identity as one in Christ. You see, not only has God given us a new life, he's given us a new identity, and he didn't, so to, he didn't do so in order to hide us and put us in some type of witness protection program to isolate us from the rest of the world, but rather a new identity that would allow us to boldly step out into the world as a witness for Christ, to share the gospel with anyone who may be willing to listen. And we find that boldness to witness for Christ, I believe, in str- being strengthened by knowing the truths about our new identity. And that's why each week we've explored even just a single identity trait of the person who is called one of the saints in Christ Jesus. We find confidence in holding on to the freedom that comes from being redeemed and knowing that you are forgiven. We step out boldly because we have the assurance that we have been chosen and adopted into the family of Christ. Each of these and the other traits that Paul has displayed for us has shows us the specific work of God in our lives to change us from who we were to who God wants us to be today, that we might reflect Him. And today we're going to spend our time and we're going to look at a response, a response that surrounds all of this work that God is doing, and it brings questions to our mind. It makes me ask the question, so then... Why? Why would God do all of these things for me when I'm undeserving? Now, we can throw the Sunday school answer at that one, right? Because Jesus loves you. It's true. Every bit of it's true. In some ways, I can't even fully comprehend how it's true. But then I ask, could there be more? That's the amazing thing. There can't even be more to it. 
And that's why I come to our second question, because I think in and through it, he's teaching us also how we are called to respond. I believe the answer to the question, how should I respond to God based on these truths, is found in the threefold repetition that we're going to see in this passage that we've been studying over and over again for the past seven weeks. He stated three times that God has done all of these things. Why? To the praise of the glories of his grace. And so today, as we read Ephesians 1 again, I want you to listen for those phrases, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now, if you will, open with me to the letter of Ephesians. If you're using the Bible in the chair in front of you, it's going to be on page 150 in the back section. But I'd like you to read along with me and specifically look for, these are the truths that he has told us, how should we respond And listen for that phrase, to the praise of his glory. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glories of his grace." which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of all times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Do you hear it? To the praise of his glory. Three times he brings us back to that. Now we hear a lot of praise going on here and that's why we're going to explore this today to ask us what's another part of our response to our identity, that we are worshipers. And here within this text today, and within the whole of God's Word, because you are worshipers, we can find two responses because of your identity in Christ. And so unlike the prior weeks where we focused on a single truth, even down to a single word from our passage, today we're going to look at context. 
we're going to look at how Paul has used these phrases to the praise of his glory within the context to develop our response in a way that brings God the glory and shares the impact of that truth upon all who would see our lives. Because amazingly, these 12 verses from 3 to 14, they're simply one extended complex sentence that comes back over and over again to the praise of his glory. And within that sentence, I think we can conclude that worship is a proper response for the triune God's work in salvation. Now, I've specifically said the triune God because of what we see throughout this passage. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity is vastly complex. It's one of the mysteries of God that I don't believe is humanly possible to be accurately explained, maybe even accurately understood. But because any example that we might use in this world, well, it always falls short in some way to describe a one true God who is three persons equal in every way and yet distinct. All of our explanations fall short. Yet I believe this to be true. In fact, I believe this to be a key to what we believe about our faith because of how God has worked. Now, we're not going to delve into the Trinity more today because we wouldn't get this out of the meaning of today's text, but rather we're going to see that we should praise God for his work of salvation. And as we look, we'll find that the work was not just a work of God, but it's the work of God the Father and of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to seek to praise him in that way as well. And so let's notice first from the passage how it mentions that we worship God because of the work of the Father. So we'll look at the first few verses from 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. And then there it is, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It was all done to the praise of the glory of his grace. You see here, Paul begins by blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In doing so, Paul is praising God the Father for the work that he has done through salvation because God blesses us. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing that we may come to value the things of the kingdom of God over the things of this world. Well, at the same time, the Father shows us that it is he who chose us. He chose us. Think about that in the plan for salvation. A plan which God established by his will even before the dawn of time. Think about how in the plan of salvation, God included the choosing of my destination. He predestines us for eternal life with him. Now that certainly brings me to a posture of praise before God. But then we also recall that his decision is also to bring us and make us adopted into his family. Because each one of us on this earth was born into a family imperfect, with an imperfect father. And, but does it not bring you to praise God when you think about the truth that he has chosen, that he has predestined us to be a part of 
his family so we could see the beauty of that? And then Paul also reminds us that God the Father did all of these things for each of the saints in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's to the praise of the glory of his grace. You see, if we were doing all these things to the praise and glory of Rod, well, guess what? My heart's going to do it for all the wrong reasons because my heart's going to be all about me, but not so with God. Why? Because he's the only one worthy of this type of praise. He's the only one sovereign over the universe. He's the only one who's perfect in every way. And so his work to bless and to choose and to adopt his people back to himself, well, that's to the praise of the glory of his grace. It truly is praiseworthy because God is not only holy and perfect, he is that without you and me. And think about it truthfully. When God draws us into his family, we don't make his family a better place. In our natural heart, we drag it down. With anyone else, our sinful heart corrupts that relationship. But with God, because of his work of salvation, he can take our corrupted lives and bring it into his family for the praise and glory of his grace. And so how then shall we respond? Well, I think he's teaching us that worship is the proper response. So then how will we bring worship into our lives? I want to help us to try and think about just some very simple ways, some things you're already doing, and some things I want to encourage you just to consider and reemphasize as we walk throughout. If we're going to praise the God, the Father, the beauty of it is is We've already been taught a beautiful way to do that. And so first, I believe we can learn to open our prayer just as Jesus taught us in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, that truly is a different way of opening a prayer from the way that I naturally would. When I want to bring my needs up before God, it's easy for me to think, he already knows he's holy. I don't need, he doesn't need me to remind him. He doesn't need me to point these things out to him. I just want to be able to get to my point and tell him what my prayer request is. But if that's the case and that's how I walk, well, then that's just my prayer with my requests that are walked through based on my will with my eyes focused on who? Me. And thus, the first application that we could take of this is to strive to begin each of our prayers, whether they are short prayers or long prayers. But we should always begin with a moment, and that moment can be as, long, as much praise as you are able to give him, but a moment that praises, reminding ourselves of the truth of our holy God who loves us so deeply that he has walked through this work of salvation. And then we come to a second reason that worshiping is a proper response, and it's because of the work of the Son. Consider the wonder of the Trinity. Again, I didn't, I'm not going to try and explain it, <coughs> but it was God the Father's will to save those whom he chose. It's God the Father's will to save those whom he is adopting into his family. But God the Father also needed somebody to take action. He needed somebody to perform a work in that salvation process. 
Now, that's a work that none of us are capable of doing on our own. And God could not simply go out into the world and find the best available candidate, and, well, that would be good enough. God needed somebody just as holy as himself, just as perfect as the Father. And so he looked to the Son, and it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, and things on the earth. And in him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful description in and of itself? We who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. You see, it was God the Son who submitted to the Father's will. It was God the Son who willingly became a substitute for each and every one of us based on our need. And so our response of praise to this, the response that is needed to these truths is that we would place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, if you're here today and everything we're saying seems to be new to you, I'm so glad you're here because God can use these words in your lives these truths that as we see them for the first time, we have an opportunity to be able to respond to them. Now, maybe you're sitting here as well and you're going, this really isn't new to me. I've grown up in church hearing these truths week after week. You might say, of course, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. But then when we look at our life, does our life really look like a worship of Jesus Christ's work? But the beauty of it is, no matter where we sit, in either of these cases, our response is still the same. Because the gospel calls us to the same thing. And the response is to worship. Will you choose to see the work of the Son and respond in worship? Because it all begins by acknowledging that we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Our lives cannot live up to the praise of the glory of His grace. And because we all fall short, we're not deserving of glory, but of death. But we can remember the truths that He tells us. But God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He gave. God the Father gave God the Son to step into a place on that cross to pay a debt that we owed. And then the work of the Son satisfied the Father. And as such, God the Father raised His Son from the dead, making a way so that you and I can be saved. Because the work, the Son's work on our behalf, through it, God receives the glory. And when we choose to follow Christ, it brings praise to the Son of God. It comes to the praise of His glory again and again and again. 
And so application number two for us today is to ask ourselves honestly, have you praised the Son for His work of redemption? Have you praised Him for making our forgiveness possible? Have you chosen to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? And now I'm not just talking about I received Him into my heart, but that it overflows into our lives, into our words, thoughts, and actions as you choose to give Him all the glory and the honor which He is due. And if you're thinking about that today and you go, I'm not so sure. Well, that's the reason we as pastors will make ourselves available at any time to sit down and ask any questions that you might have to be able to look at what God's Word says so that we can have that same hope and assurance and be able to walk forward. And for all of us, as we walk in that, I mean, as we get through this next point, I want to actually give you even a more practical way of thinking through what I'm talking about here. Do we live our lives as a worship service unto the Lord? Because another truth that we know is that when God completes His work of salvation in our lives, He gives us the assurance that we can hold on to, to praise Him for the promises that are yet to come. And because of that, we find that worship is a proper response again because of the work of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended into heaven after appearing to the apostles, after appearing to more than 500 witnesses, He told His followers to wait and that he would send them the helper. And we see this all happen as the church was formed on the day of Pentecost, and it's described in Acts chapter 2. And today, as each one of us is now added into the church, the beauty is God is doing that even a little different because he does not ask us to wait or to wonder. He does not leave us to worry or fear that the work of salvation may not be complete Today, when we come to believe as a part of God's work of salvation, He includes the work of the Spirit, where it says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given us a pledge of our inheritance, that which is yet to come, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession that He takes us on as His own possession. Why? To the praise of His glory. There it is a third time. To the praise of His glory. That we receive the sealing and the assurance of the promises that are yet to come because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so our proper response? To worship. And I want to encourage you today to even expand your ideas of what worship may look about, look like. Because worshiping God, it is about praises and singing. Our worship of God is about how we pray before our Holy Lord. But I also believe that we worship the Lord by living in a way that expresses what we believe. And so let's get back to the application, application again. This week... Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to take a sheet of paper, throw a line right down the middle of it. On the left side, I want you to put each of these attributes of our identity in Christ. You can go back. simple way to go do that is just look at the list of the titles of the sermons we've done so far this year. Put those on the left-hand side. And then on the right, I want you to write out one way that you can express worship 
through your actions that reflect the freedom that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. Because if I am sealed by the Holy Spirit, then my salvation cannot be lost. If that's true, then how is my life impacted by that truth? If I'm God's own possession, if He values me so much that He sent His Son to redeem me, do I believe that my identity in Christ is enough? Or am I still trying to make my own name great? And so you may look at that and see those attributes on the left side that says, you are blessed. And then when you look at it and look at your life, are there ways that your actions are trying to show that you are seeking to bless yourself through finances, through relationships, through other things, where your goal is to get the blessing for yourself and grab it? That's an area that we can look at and say, how am I going to trust that God is the one who blesses me? Or when we say, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, saying that my salvation is assured. Well, sometimes I'm afraid of talking to other people about it because I don't know what's going to happen. But if I'm assured of my salvation in Christ, there's nothing in this world that can harm me. How can I now boldly step out and do the work to share Christ to the praise and the glory of His name? And so the truth of the triune God's work of salvation for the glory of God, well, it should bring us to a place of worship each day. But we must also consider the things that we would take away that would even spoil the nature of our worship. And that's why our second response is to reject the temptation to worshiping anything else. Because when we see the wonder of God, the glory of His creation, and the vastness of His power and knowledge, well, we would think there's nothing else that would compare to that. There's nothing else we would find to be like it. And that should be true, but throughout human history, it's shown that we have a different response. Because it started in the garden with Adam and Eve. They walked with God. But then they saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they saw it as something even more desirable than listening to God's command, compassionate warning. Think about it. It only took six chapters in the book of Genesis for God's people worshiping something other than God to bring down the wrath of God through the flood. It goes on and on. We see it in a pattern that's expressed deeply in the book of Judges. The people chased after other gods God allowed them to receive the consequences of their actions. When things got bad, they cried out to the Lord. And God would send them a redeemer, making a way for them to return to Him. But then they would soon forget again and return to chasing after false gods. Even to the point of creating gods out of silver and gold. Isaiah chapter 44 describes what the people are doing. He's talking about how they would physically create idols when he says, but the rest of it he makes into a god. He has graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know, nor do they understand, for he has smeared over their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot comprehend. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say. I've burned half of it in the fire. I've also baked bread over its coals. I roast meat over it and eat it. And then I make the rest of it into an abomination, and I fall down before a block of wood. He feeds on ashes, 
a deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver himself, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And when I read this and I think about who Isaiah was speaking to, it's very easy for me just simply to shake my head, seeing the foolishness of it all, but then I have to be cautioned in my own thinking. Do I do the same thing today? Now, certainly I'm not forming little wooden figures and covering them in silver and gold that I might pray to them, but am I creating my own gods? When the people of Israel were at Mount Sinai and Moses was on the mountain with God, well, the people quickly began to worry and fear, wondering what would happen to them because they're in the desert, they're in the wilderness. Where would they find food? Where would they find enough water? Where were they going? Who would provide for them? Who would protect them? And since they couldn't see it immediately before them, they created their own God. And they cast a golden calf idol. But is this really about the physical golden calf idol? Or is it more about what they thought they needed and the reason why they formed it? They thought they needed protection and provision. And so they made their own God, thinking, well, maybe that would work. Well, we can see the foolishness of seeking protection and provision from a golden idol, can't we? It can do nothing. We have to pick it up and carry it around. Certainly, we can see the foolishness of that. But are we prone to making our own gods today as well? Think about the things that we would choose to worship before we would worship our triune God. And thus, we must reject the temptation because when we do, you exchange what is glorious for what is fading. When our response is to worship God, we're praising the unchanging, everlasting, glorious God. But the things of this world... They're fading away. That's why Romans 1 warns us by calling out those who worship idols as professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of the form of the corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. How foolish is it to think that we would exchange the real thing, the glory of the incorruptible God, for an imitation or a replica? But it's not just about the object of our worship. It's also about the path that that worship takes us upon. Man's refusal to acknowledge and glorify God leads to a downward spiral that brings foolish, worthless thinking and then continues to moral insensitivity and then on to idol worship, which includes any religious practice that does not seek to glorify the God of the Bible in the way that God reveals himself in the Bible. For example, if we reject God the Father's work to choose in the name of making a God who loves everyone unconditionally because we want to believe that everyone's going to heaven, well, we've created a false God in our own image rather than worshiping the Father because we're created in His image. And by worshiping anything other than the God of the Bible, all things we would be seeking, would be lost. Look what Jeremiah says when he asks the question, has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And thus, if you choose to seek your glory, or for example, if we choose to seek our acceptance through a relationship in our lives, for example, if we ask our wife, or our husband, to be the one who provides you value in this world. 
you will eventually fail them, and they will fail you as compared to the glory of being adopted into God's family. But the broken relationships of this world will hold no profit. Or if we choose to believe that everyone's inherently good and that God will save all the good people, rejecting the necessity of Jesus' work on the cross, well, I may feel good about that for today in my thinking, in my personal theology, but by not sharing the gospel, you and the others who don't hear it, well, they won't hear the truth. And because of that, they would be lost at the judgment seat because we have rejected Christ's work. What I thought was gain would be a total loss. We must reject the ideas that are fading. And we must reject the temptation to worship anything else because it also means that your glory is going to be made into shame. When we worship the things of this world, we do so because it will be, we believe that it will bring us some level of glory. But the truth is vastly different. Again, in Isaiah, the prophet warns those who follow idols by saying they will be turned back and be utterly put to shame, who trust in idols, who say to molten images, you are our gods. Not only will our idols fail and bring no profit to us, but God will also turn us back from what we desire in ways that will utterly bring us to shame. Consider this example a young man who says he wants to glorify God by remaining pure until marriage, but yet he justifies pornography as an outlet to avoid the temptation of sex before marriage. And then years later, he meets a woman whom he desires to marry. They choose to wait and to honor God, but he continues in pornography to satisfy his own desires with a thought that he's protecting himself. After marrying, he he enjoys the intimacy in marriage, but then he begins to want something more that he's not getting in marriage. And first he returns back to the internet, then he reaches outside the marriage, and before you know it, he's broken his covenant relationship with his wife, but he still continues because nobody knows until. And then he's discovered. His wife discovers his phone, the texts, the pictures, And what he had sought to bring his own glory has truly become a shame, along with all of the brokenness and the hurt that he has caused. Now, this is just one example. And in seeking to hold on to that which does not glorify God, we're walking as enemies of the cross. And the end result is not a pretty picture because it's those whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. That's just another way of saying that we're worshiping the things of this world. God is turned, or glory is turned to shame. And the end of it is our destruction. You see, because when we see the contrasts between what God has chosen for us and what we would choose for ourselves, it should cause us to flee from all immorality. It should cause us to reject the temptation to worship anything else because instead of being blessed, we become cursed. Folks, it has been God's desire since the beginning of time to be a blessing to his people. We don't see it just here in Ephesians 1. We see it right in the creation story. As it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
and God blessed them. Blessing is God's desire, but he cannot bless us in our disobedience. He cannot bless us when we choose to worship something other than him, which is why we immediately then see that he said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. But it's not just about a curse that we might see as a punishment or a judgment. It's also the curse of what happens to us because of our worship of anything other than God. Consider how the psalmist describes idols in Psalm 115. He says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes, cannot see. They have ears and cannot hear, noses and cannot smell. They have hands and cannot feel and feet that cannot walk. In other words, what they're saying is they are utterly incapable of doing anything. And yet we praise them and go to them for our provision. But the more important than all of that is look what it does to us. The next verse says, those who make them will become like them. Remember that phrase, imitation is the greatest form of flattery? See how God's word tells us the opposite? Those who make them will become like them because everyone who trusts in them, in other words, we too, If we worship idols, we'll become useless to God as well. Our curse is that we become like the things that we worship, blind, deaf, and useless, incapable of doing anything that is pleasing before God. And our last reason for rejecting the temptation to worship something other than God is because you will become empty instead of satisfied. When we look for satisfaction in the things of this world, not trusting in God for all that we need, God's word poses a question to us. In Jeremiah, he asks, What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness? But see how he tells us, when we chase after emptiness, we become empty. When my marriage is what I decide is everything that I need in life, what happens when I fail? What I have left is a relationship that is broken and empty. When my job is all that I decide that I need, if I just can be recognized for my work, what happens when the boss hires somebody else, either inside or from outside the company, for the promotion that you wanted? And now instead of finding yourself desired and wanted, you find yourself empty. Now, if you're with me to this point about idols and you're saying, I do want to reject the worship of idols in this world, but I just don't know what they might be in my life. Let me recommend a book to you. Very easy reading. Many of you have already read it. It's by a pastor we work closely with. The book is called Gospel Treason. The author's name is Brad Bigney. Taking the time to read Gospel Treason will help you not only to identify what are the idols in your life, but it will also help you to take steps to reject the worship of those idols so that we can choose a God-pleasing response. Because our response to God's work that he's described throughout Ephesians 1 truly should be to the praise of the glory of his grace. Because he will take what is fading and he will make it glorious. Because we were more than fading, 
We were dead in our trespasses, but in God's work, he made us alive in Christ with the assurance that we will one day see him fully and in his full glory, we get to be a part of his glorious inheritance. In other words, he takes our shame and replaces it with glory where we deserve the shame of our sin, that which separates us from the Father. Jesus has taken our shame. He took it to the cross, paid our debt, And now he shares his glorious righteousness with us. And thus he changes us from being cursed to being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he takes our emptiness and he fills us with a satisfaction in him. All to the praise of the glory of his grace. Pray with me. Heavenly Father God, we thank you. We praise your name, Father, for the work that you have shown us, for the grace that you poured out to make it possible that we could be redeemed, forgiven, and brought into your family. Lord, we praise you. Lord, I ask now as we see these truths, Lord, you would help us to be able to grow with a heart of worship and praise for you. Lord, that it would be reflected in our prayers that it would be reflected in our lives. Lord, that others look at us and they might see there is something different. And Lord, as they come to know the true reason for why we are different from this world, Lord, that it would all come to the praise of the glory of your grace. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.